Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 20, verses 20 to 26. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of the God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lexi. If you can have your Bibles open um, to that passage, that would be great. Uh, Before I start um, talking about the text, I just do want to thank you for your generosity. Um, We have a great problem of having surplus of money, and we are now thinking about how to use that money to invest in the future and how to, uh, the the committee, and we're praying about how to uh, take our church to the next step, um, how to continue to uh, grow uh, in the gospel work here. So thank you so much for your generosity. Um, Let's pray as we come to this text that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great thanks uh, for your grace and mercy, especially in giving of your Son in Jesus. We thank you for his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for the righteousness that he has won and that he gives that uh, for us. And we pray that as as people who have been marked by your generosity, that we too will be marked uh, by generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that no one likes uh, paying taxes. Tax lawyers are some of the biggest, uh, highest paid lawyers. And we know, uh, peop- uh, we know that people go to lengths to avoid paying taxes. I actually have been assessed. Uh, I know exactly how much I should pay. I still haven't paid because I just don't like paying taxes. I will pay taxes. Just want you to know that. Some people, as they read that, this text, they might be asking the question, well, maybe, uh, is this about taxes? Um, should Christians pay their taxes? That's the question, isn't it? Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Verse 22. Is it right for us to pay taxes to the Hong Kong government or not? And I'm sure there are some of you who, might, uh, who would love for me to say, uh, no, we don't have to pay taxes. But let me just spend uh, the first point, uh, first time, uh, some time in the first point, to explain to you that this question really wasn't about the taxes. It was about to whom we belong, to whom they belong, uh, to, uh, for, for what they lived. And there is a curious parallel between Jesus and another historical figure who lived about 25 years before Jesus' time, Judas of Galilee. As most of, most of you know, Israel was part of the Roman Empire. And Judas of Galilee, about 25 years before Jesus' time, was a zealot. He was a freedom fighter. He rebelled against the Roman Empire. He actually did a few things that Jesus actually does, uh, Jesus actually did. He goes into the temple. He, clean, he cleanses the temple. He kicks out all the foreigners from the temple. And in chapter 19, the chapter previous to our chapter, 
Jesus, too, goes into the temple, and he cleanses the temple. Secondly, Judas of Galilee said that the Israel, Israel should be a theocratic country governed by God alone and not Caesar's. This, of course, was a, a thorny issue for the Jews because Roman emperor claimed to be God. In fact, Tiberius is the, uh, the emperor, the Caesar, uh, during the time of Jesus' lifetime. But before Caesar Augustus, the, the, his predecessor, was actually declared to be God by the Roman Senate. You can imagine how Jews uh, must have felt living under their rule. And thirdly, therefore, Judas the uh, Galilean asked people not to pay their taxes to the Romans. He, uh, as Josephus, the first century historian records, said that taxation was no better than an introduction to slavery and exhorted the nation not to pay their taxes and exert their freedom. That's what's here. uh, is, that's what's at stake here. That's the context. And what's worse here is that the word tax here used is not just income tax or anything like that, but it's about the poll tax. It's the tax that you pay for the privilege of being a citizen of, of the Roman Empire. So this was a special tax paid uh, to be a subject of the, uh, of the Caesar. So this is the question. That's why this question was so explosive, and that's why these spies think that they have Jesus with this question. It's a question about the revolution. It's a question about who they belong to. It's a question about idolatry. Who's the real God, and who do we serve? God or Caesar? And these spies thought that they had Jesus with this question because, you know, if you think about it, if Jesus says, pay, pay your taxes, um, they might be, uh, they, 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 if Jesus said, pay your taxes, then they might be able to, uh, go, uh, they might go to the Jews and say, and, and, and say, look, here's a person who's actually subjugated to the Romans. And if he says, don't pay your taxes, then they could go to the Romans and say, here's a person who's inciting uh, uh, insurrection. So is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? For the Jews, once again, the question was about idolatry. To whom do they belong? And for the most part, I want to say that political questions are not really the big question in Hong Kong. Of course, there are places where the state claims uh, ultimate authority, North Korea comes to my mind, comes to mind. Maybe even in America, where the state has such power over people. Sometimes we're asked to give our ultimate allegiance to the country and not to God. But we know that that's not really the context in Hong Kong, but it is worth asking, what is claiming to be our idol? What is claiming to be the ultimate authority over our life in Hong Kong? What asks us to give up everything to follow it? I think it's not um, the political powers, but um, uh, I mean, in Hong Kong, nobody would say we belong to the chief executive, Lung. Hong Kong people wouldn't even say that they belong to China. Political power really isn't the idol here, but money is. Who do we belong who do we belong to, to money or to God? You might be saying, well, Hugh, don't be so dramatic. We don't serve money. Money is not our king. Money is not the ultimate end. You might not think that, 
But I think the culture says that. In the first 21st century in Hong Kong, the real people who are, who are running the show in Hong Kong are the people with money. People like Li Ka-shing. Li Ka-shing was in fact the named most powerful person in Asia in 2001 by Asia Weekly. Most powerful person. It's the one with money. Actually, it has been money for ages, I think. Not just in Hong Kong, but around the world in history. Think about the history of the world. Can we really say the history of the wor- world um, was about the political powers and the ethnicity and all of those, uh, those things? Wasn't it about the money? The American Revolution can be said to have, uh, have been about money. After all, the straw, as they say, that broke the camel's back was the Boston Tea Party. The Americans refusing to pay the taxes on tea, saying this is too much. It was about the money. American Civil War could have been said about the money as well. Not about the morality of slavery, but the economics of slavery. You can make a good case for that. The signing of Magna Carta, the very beginning of the limitation of power of kings in the West, it was about the money. People's nobles desire to keep their land and the profits for themselves. And I was talking to Charles, who, uh, ma- who majored in um, ancient history, I think this was one of the few times when he becomes very useful. (laughs) He tells me that the Roman Empire fell apart. I'm sorry, I pick on Charles all the time. Don't tell him I said this. Um, But he tells me that the Roman Empire fell apart because people started to switch their allegiance from Roman Empire to other uh, uh, kingdoms who who came and invaded. They they switched um, allegiance to whoever gave them a better deal. Opium war was about the money. The difference between the American uh, Republican Party and the Democrat uh, Party could be said is really about the money. Taxes, how, how, how high should the taxes be? You know, everything, the history has become about the money, and money has infiltrated in the way that we think about everything as well. We think about uh, everything in terms of money as well. I was listening to Freakonomics podcast this past week uh, who was interviewing um, uh, Boris Johnson, the mayor of London. And he said, London is the greatest city on earth. And he said, in the same breath, London has 72 billionaires living. And he said, more than proudly, more than New York, which, is, which only has 43. And Paris he, uh, has only 18. Apparently, having, more and more, having the, uh, the biggest number of billionaires makes, it, uh, makes London the greatest city on earth, according to Boris Money doesn't just determine the, the, the ranking of the city. We think of, uh, I think, in terms of money, uh, in terms of love in money. How much do you love me, you might ask. Well, how much was the, the, the gift that you gave me? We think about uh, the, not the thoughtfulness of the gift, not the usefulness of the gift, um, but how much a gift costs. I mean, how great is the artwork? Well, how much, the, how, much, how much does it cost? Is somebody marriable? Well, I was told in China that these four things are necessary. You need a, big, you need a house, you need a car, you need a fridge, and you need a washing machine. It's money. Who's, who's important in our society? Well, who makes most money? Why do we make our children so hard, uh, work so hard? Well, so they can go to a good university, so they can go to a good job, so they can make more money. What should they study in the university? Well, which major makes them money? 
Some people don't think, um, uh, when they think about how, where to live, it's well, where do the rich people live? That's a good neighborhood. It's not about where the good churches are nearby, whether it's convenient even for them, but it's about where the rich people live. I think that kind of thought goes in. It's, it's part of the daily conversation, isn't it, in Hong Kong? People ask, where do you live? And I think, unfortunately, it has infiltrated uh, the way that we think about our spirituality. We automatically think that some people who are rich are somehow, they've been blessed by God because they have done something right. They've been right with God. In The Sound of Music, when, uh, when Maria is about to marry the captain, a very wealthy man, she sings, Perhaps I had a wicked childhood, perhaps I had a miserable youth, but somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. For here you are standing and they're loving me, whether or not you should. Uh, so somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. We think that if we are blessed... There was something that we did right. And the flip side is true, too. We look down on the poor people and we go, well, actually, there must be something wrong. You must have done something wrong. Maybe it's because you're lazy. Maybe because it's, you didn't handle money right. Something, it, something is not quite right with you. And that's what Job, uh, Job's friends say to Job. When everything's taken away, they go, you must have done something wrong. I think this is a lack, there, needs, there seems to be a lack of imagination in this world that we are unable to think um, in terms other than money. Everything has become about money. So let me ask, it's not really about Caesar or God. Do we serve money or do we serve God? Do we live for money or do we, serve, uh, do we live for God? How do we spend our time, um, energy? How, why do you, uh, how do you raise your children? For whom do you work? Is it money or God? So when Jesus was asked this difficult question, should we pay taxes, Caesar or God, choose? Jesus, Jesus calmly responds in verse 23. Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscriptions are on it? And before we go on, I think I want to point out, isn't it amazing that Jesus actually doesn't have a denarius in his pocket? He doesn't have the money in his pocket. In a world obsessed with money, he doesn't have money to show. So he has to ask somebody for it. And when they answer, it's Caesar. Jesus replies in verse 25, Then give back to Caesar what is his, and to God what what is God's. In one sentence, he puts Caesar in his place. In one sense, he says, pay your taxes. If Caesar wants his money, and it's literally his money because he minted it out of his own wealth, and it's got his face on it, he says, well, if he wants the money, give it back to him. And so Jesus can't be accused uh, by the Romans of, of, of saying, not, uh, don't, pay, uh, uh, don't pay your taxes. But at the same time, he seems to put it, him in his place and say no as well. At the very least, Jesus shows in his attitude that, uh, uh, in, in his words, that this isn't the important question. He seems almost annoyed by it. He says, well, give, it, give back to Caesar what is his. He's saying that Caesar isn't the ultimate king. Money isn't the ultimate question. Caesar is just Caesar, and money is just money. They should not be assigned ultimate value. 
He says you can pay taxes to Caesar and not belong to him. You can earn money and not belong to it. They should be put in their places. That's what's implied here. But in order to put them in their places, we must obey the next question. We must respond to Jesus' next demand here. He says, give to God what is his. Give to God what is God's. If we get this right, if God is given what he deserves, then we can put money in its right place. We can put power in its right place. We can have all the things that we have in their right places if we have given our lives over to God. So it's worth asking, what's Jesus actually asking? What is God's? Give to God what is God's. Well, Jesus asked, what image does this coin bear? The denarius had uh, Tiberius' image on it, so therefore it was his. It's worth asking, what bears God's image? What bears God's image? The answer, of course, is us. We bear God's image. We belong to God. And see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying the big issue isn't about the money. It's not even about the political powers. It's do you, have you given your life, all that you are, all that you have over to God? Do you belong to God? Have you given your life over to God? That's the big question, he says. I think one of the things that people who are not Christian and who are new to Christianity are constantly surprised by is how much Christ demands from us. You see, Christ doesn't demand 10%. Christ doesn't um, demand you know, 50% of our time and money and energy and all of that. Christ says we are his. All that we are is his. He demands all of who we are, all of our dreams. He demands our children. He demands your time, and he demands your energy. He demands your gifts and talents. He says all that is, all that is his. And Stewardship Sunday isn't about giving 10% of our income. It's not even really about putting down a percentage of our uh, percentage it's not about which bits belong to Caesar and which bits can, can I keep. Which belongs uh, to Caesar, which bits belong to God, and which bits can I keep. On this stewardship Sunday, we're reminded that we belong to God, that we are God's possession. Abraham Kuyper, I'm fond of quoting him, who said, There's not an inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. Well, this applies to our life as well. Paul tells us we have been bought at a precious price. Price. Paul says he, we are slaves of Christ, that we belong to him. And it's only when we understand this that we can give our money generously to God and for his work. If we say that our money, not just 10%, not just 15%, or whatever that you give, but all of our money is God's money, that we're accountable for how, how we spend all of our money. Now, I'm not saying that you should give it all away, but it, you, should, you are stewards of God's money. The money that you have, you are stewards of God's money, and you're accountable for how you spend all of it. Only when we understand that all of our life can we understand that? 
I think one, what, what's surprising is that God demands that all from us. But what's also surprising is the flip side, is how much God gives to us. He gives all of himself, doesn't he? He gave us his son. He offered his entire life. He literally became a human being for us. He lived his entire life for us. He dies his death for us. And all the things that he has won, the righteousness and all that's involved, the kingdom of God and all the privileges, rights and privileges of being in the kingdom, he won that for us. And he says, this is mine to share with you. All that I have is yours. He gives all of it to us. He's outrageously generous. That's why we respond by giving our lives over to him. But before we end, let me, let me do, because um, I, I know that when I, whenever people preach about money uh, or Stewardship Sunday, people do always ask, well, what percentage? How much should we give? Should we give? Is it 10%? I think uh, 10% has been a, a, a good benchmark for many different reasons. Um, but the New Testament, for New Testament Christians, the standard is the cross. It's not 10%, it's the cross. That is the standard. Once again, it's all of it. But also, what it means to follow in the step of the cross is being self-sacrificial. I think that really is the key. For many people, for most of the time in our history, 10% was self-sacrificial. When you gave 10% away, you felt it. It was difficult to give 10% away. And so uh, that became the standard. But I think with this unprecedented wealth in Hong Kong and elsewhere, I think we need to think about that again. What is self-sacrificial giving? You know, it means if you live um, in your marriage self-sacrificially, it means that you are slightly uncomfortable as a husband and as wife, right? Because you are spending, you're doing things for your husband or for your wife, um, doing things uh, when you're tired, when you don't want to. There is a self-sacrificial aspect of it. And I think the biggest example is really children. If you, know, if you have children, you know what it means to live self-sacrificially. You get up when you really don't want to. That's what, what that means, self-sacrificial living. Cross is the standard, and that is the self, standard of self-sacrificial living. And I, I, want you to, I, want, I, want, I want to challenge you to think about what it means to give away so much of your money that you are uncomfortable, that there is something that you are giving up, that there is something. It doesn't mean that don't plan for your future, but it means giving something of your future up so that you can be part of God's work now. I say all of this, and the whole thing makes me very uncomfortable because, once again, I think about my life and I think, well, I live a pretty comfortable life. And this makes me uncomfortable. And I hope it makes you uncomfortable because, really, in the end, that is the point. The point is the cross makes, following the cross makes, it, it should make us go in the path of being uncomfortable, giving up our wealth, giving up our time, giving up our energy, giving up our life in an uncomfortable way so that life could come to others. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great thanks once again for your son. We thank you that you have given your son 
his life, his death, and his resurrection, we thank you that he wasn't just uncomfortable, but he, he gave his life for us. Lord, and you call us to follow you on the path of the cross. Help us to be people who are marked by the cross. Help us to be people who are marked by that self-sacrifice. Help us to be people who are marked by that generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.